Pastor Mateo sends his love and he asked me to preach today. Uh, As you guys know, we have been in a series in the book of Genesis and Revelation talking about who God is and who he reveals himself to be even from the beginning of time. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 22. You can turn to Genesis 22. And uh, let me, let me kind of recap the story a little bit of where, we, where we're kind of coming from here. So obviously in Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates this perfect place, this perfect creation. Then he creates mankind, and he creates them perfectly male and female. He created them. And then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they sin. They take the fruit that they're not supposed to. And then everything that hap- happens from chapter 4 and chapter 3 onward it's just a bunch of sin. It's all of the, the, the repercussions, the fruit of sin, if you will. It's, it's this thing that once we choose to be our own gods, there's no telling how much chaos happens in, in our lives, in our families, in, in our world. And we're seeing that all the way throughout Genesis. But then what we see, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is that God decides, okay, I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to save my people through covenant relationships. So he chooses this man named Abram. Everyone say Abram. And so he says, okay, Abram, through your family and through your family line, you're going to um, have a child, and this child's going to have more children, and those children are going to have more children. And before you know it, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And it's not just like God being like, hey, you're going to have lots of kids someday. But this is actually God kind of revealing the first step of his plan towards redemption of the world, which is Jesus. But he chooses to start with this man named Abram. And the only kind of thing about Abram that makes this story kind of complicated and God's plan kind of complicated is that he and his wife are super old. And it's kind of hard to have kids when you're super old. Um, Speaking of having kids, did you guys know that Preem and I are going to have a baby soon? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Just real quick. I, I asked Wednesday night this, but I don't, I'm sure a lot of you weren't there because it's a different crew here. How many of y'all think that Preem and I might be having a boy come this February? Team boy? Team boy? Okay, okay. Who's team girl out there? Who's team girl out there? Okay. Wow, we're like pretty 50-50. I don't know why you're booing for that, but... I'm not even going to ask you why you're wrong. Um, but so, so Abraham is old, his wife Sarai is old, and they're like, well, God, how are you going to do this? And this is God's way of saying, you're going to have to trust me to see this plan and this promise fulfilled. So after years and years of waiting, God finally comes through on his promise, and Abram, who's now named Abraham, has a son, and the son's name is? Isaac, okay, awesome, you guys, you guys know your Bible a little bit, I love that, I love that. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 22. This is actually a really uh, beautiful story, but it's also kind of like a difficult story to read. And it kind of takes a lot of like, God, what are you, what are you doing in this? Because it kind of hits us in between the eyes. So I'm going to read Genesis 22 verses 1 through 14. So kind of buckle in for a little bit of a story. I'm also going to ask, uh, I need one of the ladies who's a really good reader. If you're like a whole reader, I need you to like run up here quick. Just run. Okay, fantastic. What's your name? Isabella. What's up, Isabella? All right, hey, could you read us the story of Genesis 22, 1 through 14? It's all going to be on the screen for you. Is that cool with you? All right, here you go. Sometime, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom, I, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain 
I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and, my boy, and the boy go over there. I, we will worship, then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word, wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Then he, sacrif then he, sac then he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place, the God that God had told them, told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have no withheld from your, me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns, his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Awesome. Give her a hand. Give her a hand. So good. All right. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And even if you want to, open your hands. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, we're not here to be entertained. We don't come to church for information. We don't come to church to be entertained. We come, Holy Spirit, because you are our teacher. You can take words on a screen or words in a Bible and you can breathe your life on them and you can breathe your life into us and you can make it more than information but, but transformation. And Holy Spirit, we just want to take a moment and we want to invite you to do that here in our hearts. All across this room, if you, if you want to hear from the Lord today, if you want to be challenged and invited by, by the Lord through his words, I just invite you to say this simple prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, I invite you, come and teach me today. My heart is open. Speak, Lord, 
your child is listening. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay. So we have this really, really almost troubling story. After years of waiting, we have Abraham. He finally receives this promise from God, this son. And then God asks him this unthinkable question. He's saying, I want you to sacrifice your son now. The son that you've been waiting for, the son that I promised you, this gift that I've given you, I'm asking you to give him back to me. I want you to sacrifice your son. And this is a really troubling story, and I think we have to ask the question, why? Why would God do that? Why would God ask something that really is like contradictory to what we think he's like, what we think God would typically say to us. If God said that to me over the baby that Prima and I are about to have, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) That's a really difficult question. So I want us to walk through a little bit. What is God maybe doing here? What are the scriptures maybe inviting us into from this story? I want to throw out this claim here. I think God is testing Abraham for a reason here. And here's the reason why. is because testing always reveals who God is and it reveals who we are. Testing has a way of revealing something in our hearts. It reveals the heart of God, and it reveals something about us. And here's something that I think is really common. I know in in my life, and I wonder if you would find yourself in this. I think sometimes we as human beings can be really divided inside of ourselves. Really divided. Like maybe we, we love one thing, but maybe in actuality we do something else. Maybe even in our own faith we say, oh yeah, yeah, like I love Jesus, I love God, but I don't really maybe always feel like doing the Christian thing, you know? Uh, maybe, maybe I could put it this way. Do, do we have any Star Wars fans in here? Any Star Wars fans? Yeah. Honest confession, like I'm actually a little bit more of a Star Wars nerd than I like to admit. Um, I'm kind of all about it. Thanks, Ben. I, I don't feel as alone anymore. Um, but you guys know that, that kind of that main character, Anakin, Anakin Skywalker. He, he's kind of like, he's kind of like maybe a Christian. Think about it this way. Just go with me for a second. You know how he's like called the chosen one kind of thing? Well, scripture talks about how God has chosen us before the dawn of creation. He has chosen us and he's given us a plan. And it's kind of like Anakin, right? Like he's the chosen one. He has this like calling and this purpose, this destiny on his life. But then what you see through like those first three movies and really even four, five, and six, all six movies that he's in, he's kind of this, this, this conflicted character. Like he knows he has this calling and he knows he has this destiny, but he constantly feels this, he feels this pull towards the dark side, right? And then in episode three, when he turns to the dark side, it's like the best movie, but it's also like the most tragic movie. But then what we see in four, five, and six is now he's on the dark side, but he's kind of got this like confliction towards the light. And then ultimately the story finds its resolve in episode six and, and he turns to the light again. But what we see in this character in Anakin, right, he's always back and forth. There's always this conflict inside of him. There's this dividedness inside of him. And I'd like to throw at us today, maybe you and I, maybe we're like that in our walk with the Lord. Maybe in our, in our life of following Jesus, we, we do our best to follow him, but if we were honest with ourselves, sometimes there's kind of a duality to us. Maybe there's a dividedness to us. Let me put it this way. I need Jones to come on up here real quick. And I'm asking Jones for a very specific reason. Because Jones looks really good in Cowboys uh, attire. Wouldn't you guys say? He looks really good. For context, this man, this, here, you can put this beanie on too. For, uh, for context, my man's lost a bet, and uh, this, is, this is him paying for it right here. Um, but here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to illustrate today. 
Imagine, you can get off the chair for a second. Imagine this chair right here is the throne of our hearts. Whatever sits on this chair, whatever sits on this throne is what we consider to be God in our lives, the most valuable, significant, important thing. And James 4 talks about this, this idea of dividedness and how there's a war of passions inside of us. And so here's kind of what happens. Here's kind of what happens. We, maybe we come to junior high retreat, which is coming up in a month, by the way. Make sure you clear your calendars. It's going to be awesome. Maybe at junior high retreat or desperation conference or a, a Sunday morning, we have this moment with God and we're saying, you know what, God, I want to follow you. Jesus, you can be the, on the throne of my heart. Jesus, you are my treasure. Jesus, you're my God. You're my king. And so let's imagine Jones is, is like God for a second, okay? And so we, we, we have this moment with God and we put God on the throne of our hearts. But then life begins to take over, right? Then life begins to happen. And then when push comes to shove, you're like, God, I, you know, I love you, but I also kind of want to like, you know, maybe, maybe be on like play video games a little more than like spending time in the Bible, because honestly, that's kind of more fun. Or, you know what, God, like, I, I love you, I, I love God, but, but you know what, I, I, I also have this relationship that is not really good for me, they actually kind of pull me away from God, but you know, like, God, like, we can do this thing, right? Like, you know, like, God, you're still on the throne of my heart, clearly. I mean, look, like, you're on the throne of my heart. Or maybe we have this thing of, okay, God, I'm all about worshiping you on Sundays and Wednesdays, and, and you know, but at school, I... I don't want to be like the weird Christian kid, so I kind of want to fit in. I kind of want to have friends, God, and you're all about friendships, right? So, so God, you're on the throne of my heart and everything, but I also need to make sure like I'm popular at school. And before we know it, God is no longer on the throne of our hearts. We may say one thing with our lips, but our lives, our motives, our words, our actions, they might point to something different. And so what's happening here is the throne of our hearts is only available to one person. It can only be to one. Jesus even said in the Gospels, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. And I think this is something that you can go back to your seat, Jones. Everyone give up to Cowboys fan Jones over here. (laughs) You're the man. There we go. I'm a whole receiver, whole receiver. God says that you can only have one master of your heart. And you know what I think testing can do oftentimes in our lives? And maybe this is a reason why God was testing Abraham, was saying, hey, Abraham, I've given you this beautiful gift. I've given you, I've fulfilled my promise, I've been good to you, and I've given you this gift of a son, but am I on the throne of your heart? Or is your son on the throne of your heart? What's on the throne of your heart? today? Is it God or is it the gifts maybe that God has given you, maybe in relationships or in in a sport or an activity that you really love? Is God on the throne of your heart? Or maybe if we were honest with ourselves today, maybe we can say, you know what, I find myself maybe a little bit divided today. Like I want to, I want to follow Jesus, but I also have all these other things that are competing for my love and for my affection and my worship. And, and here's, the, here's the bottom line truth is that God, he doesn't desire divided worshipers. God desires wholehearted worshipers. And what we have to do is, even as we read this story, we have to remember that God doesn't want us divided. In fact, God's very best for you 
is that you would be wholeheartedly following him. God's very best for your life is that your entire life, your entire allegiance, your entire devotion is towards Jesus. And that doesn't mean you can't have gifts. Like Abraham gets to have his son. He gets to have these beautiful gifts. I'm not saying, hey, have no friends and have no hobbies and have no life. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is fully surrender that life to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't want, he's not desiring divided worshipers. He's, he's desiring wholehearted worshipers. He's saying, hey, I, I want all of you. Like we were talking about earlier how God wants relationship with us. Divided relationships are actually a pretty nasty thing. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I believe that there are four things from this story that we can see that God is worthy of. Undivided fill in the blank. And so if you brought your notebook, maybe write these down. This is something that's going to be really helpful for us throughout the week as we're reflecting on this story. The first thing is this, is that God is worthy of undivided love. God is worthy of undivided love. Notice how in Genesis 22 he says, um, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. This is a really like troubling question, but what is God getting at here? He's going after the undivided love of Abraham. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. I got married, you know, four and a half years ago. You guys have probably heard this example before, but can you imagine how awful it would be like on my wedding day, March 18th, 2019, that Preem comes down in that white dress and we're like facing each other and it's like, Preem, I vow with all of my heart to give you half of my love. Half of my love is yours. The other half, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But half of my heart belongs to you. Would that be like a godly marriage? No. Would that be like a functional marriage at all? Would that be like God's best for me and for Preem, just to give like half of my love or some of my love? Or I can love Preem when she's convenient to love, but maybe on the times she's not as convenient to love, then maybe I'll dip out. That's not God's version of love. God's idea of love is wholehearted. It's undivided. It's covenant. That's why we we do vows at weddings. It's the idea of covenant saying, hey, Preem, no matter what, we're in this together. We're in this thing called life together. And guys, we've had amazing days, and we've had really hard days. We've had seasons that were really fun, and we've had seasons that have been really hard and challenging and navigating. But under it all is this, this banner of undivided, wholehearted love for one another. And marriage is just a picture of how God wants to walk with us. Not just that we love God as like, okay, God, I have to do that. But God loves you wholeheartedly. God loves us undividedly. And then he calls us to love him in the same way. Does anyone know the greatest commandment in scripture? Someone shout it out if you know it. Love one another. And what's the one that's before that? With? Notice how it says, it doesn't say, love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your soul and some of your mind. No, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart. In other words, wholehearted, undivided love. So what we see in Genesis 22 is God is calling Abraham to undivided love towards him. So maybe write this question down. Do we love good things over God? 
do we love good things over God? Because there was nothing wrong with Isaac. Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. It's not wrong to have kids. Praise God that we're having kids and like there's more people coming onto the earth and life is happening. Praise God, that's a good thing. But good things cease to be good things when they sit on the throne of our hearts. So maybe for some of us, we need to ask, God, is there anything in my life that is more valuable to me than you? God is worthy of undivided love. And secondly, God is worthy of undivided obedience. Think about this in verse 3. So so God tells Abraham, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. You know what's crazy? That immediately after he tells him that in verse 3, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he goes, and he leaves. Isn't that amazing? Like, like the next day, Abraham wakes up, and he's on it. He's obedient. He doesn't, he doesn't sit there and be like, well, God, like, I don't know about that. You know, like, from my understanding of you, this isn't really a question that you would ask me to do. This feels like a little bit out of character for you, God. You know what? I think I probably ate something weird for dinner tonight. Like, I don't think I'm going to, like, obey God. No, no. Abraham gets up the next morning. And he sets out to be obedient to what God had told him to do, even though it makes no sense. And here's why. It's because love requires obedience. Love requires obedience. Even Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. Y'all are going to totally understand what I'm talking about when I say this. Um, How many of y'all know uh, that your parents don't just want, like, the words, I love you, but they want your obedience? Can, can anyone relate to that? Um, I mean, it doesn't really work very well if it's like, Mom, Dad, like, I love you. Like, and I, I just think the world of you, Mom and Dad. Okay, well, go clean your room. But I love you, Mom and Dad. And I'm not going to do it, but I love you, you know. Or think about, you know, Mom and Dad, I love you. And they ask you to go do your homework, and you're like, I'm not going to do that, but I love you so much, and you just mean the world to me. Don't you guys see that love requires obedience? That if we can say all we want that we, that we love God or that we love our parents, but if there is a refusal to obey, then our love is really just words, right? And this is exactly what Abraham is experiencing with God. God is asking him and he's testing him in a really difficult way. And rather than kind of talk his way out of it, Abraham says, okay, I'm gonna get up the next morning and I'm going to go and do what God said. So God is worthy of undivided love, and he's worthy of undivided. Okay, so you guys are tracking with me. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, thirdly, God is worthy of undivided trust. This is a really cool part of the story. So we, we uh, it's in verse 8. So, you know, like they're walking up the mountain. They got all this stuff going on. I think Isaac is starting to get kind of like curious what's going on. Like, Father, where is, where is the wood, Father? <laughs> like, I don't know why he has an accent like that, but that's just what came out. Father, Father Abraham, I have a question. <laughs> Where is the lamb that we're doing this uh, burnt offering thing here? And, and Abraham actually responds in a really mind-blowing way. <laughs> he doesn't say, well, son, the Lord spoke to me last night. <laughs> and uh, get on the altar, boy. <laughs> like, no, no. He, he says, no, no, God will provide. Like, isn't that crazy that, that God, all that God asked of Abraham was to say, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. He never says, and just so you know, you're not actually going to have to do it. Like, we know how the story ends, but 
Abraham doesn't know how the story is going to end in the moment, right? But look at his faith. Look at his trust in the Lord saying, you know what? I know that God is going to provide. Why? Because he knew that one of two things would happen. One, that God would come through and spare his son. Why? Because God had made a promise that I'm going to make you a father of many nations, meaning that this isn't the end of the story. God ha- or Abraham had faith in God that he was going to be faithful to his promise. And even then, later on in the Bible, Hebrews talks about how Abraham had this faith and he had this assurance that even if God were to ask Isaac to be slain in that moment, that he would be raised from the dead. Like God has this, or I keep saying God, Abraham has this unmovable faith like, no, no, God is going to be faithful to his promise. He has this trust in the character and the faithfulness of God. And my question to us is, do we sometimes maybe try to follow God with one hand on the steering wheel in our lives? Like, hey, God, I totally trust you, you know, to be God and everything. I just, you know, I'm just going to have my hand right here. <laughs> just in case anything gets hard, just in case anything goes wrong, just in case you ask me to do anything I maybe don't want to do, I, I can kind of, I'll, I'll take over from here, God. But what we see in a life of wholehearted trust, this is why Proverbs 3, 5 says, to, to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. This is to say, God, you can have the steering wheel of my life. I'm not the author of my own story. I'm not the driver here. God, you are in control. But Abraham trusted. And not just that God could do something, but he trusted in the character and the nature of God, his father. God is worthy of undivided love. He is worthy of undivided. You guys are tracking. And he's, God is worthy of undivided Fourth and finally, worship team, you guys can come on up. God is worthy of undivided surrender. Abraham ends up putting the most precious thing to him on the altar. His son, the the, the person, the child he had been waiting for for so long, the proof that God had been faithful to him, he puts all of that on the altar not knowing what would happen next, but trusting and believing in his God. Trusting that God would come through. And my question for each and every one of you, I want you guys to have your eyes up here on me, right here. Is God asking you to lay something down today? Is there a person or a relationship in your life that God is asking you to lay down on the altar? Is there a habit or is there something that maybe has taken over the throne of your heart instead of God? Could it be that maybe God is testing us today in his love and in his faithfulness? Is he asking us to surrender something today? We can, uh, we can bring down the lights right here, Mr. Drew, or I think it's Mr. Joey now. You see, God is pleased with Abraham. When Abraham says, okay, God, you can have all of my love. You can have all of my obedience, all of my trust, all of my surrender. I give it to you. God is pleased with that. And God spares his son Isaac. It wasn't God's intention to take Isaac from Abraham. But you know what we do see? Is that God shows wholehearted, undivided love to us. 
through Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? I see my people. I see my sons and my daughters that they struggle with living divided. So I'm going to come and I'm going to give myself. I see that they have multiple things on the throne of their hearts. So how am I going to fix it? I'm going to give them undivided love by sparing or by giving my life. I'm going to give them undivided, Jesus said, I'm going to give undivided obedience by coming and giving my life for the life of the world. Jesus said, I'm going to have undivided trust in my Father. He says, I'm going to have undivided surrender. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, God is asking for undivided worship from us. And he went first. He gave us undivided love first. And now he's asking us, are you ready to follow me wholeheartedly, undividedly? So all across this room, can we just come up to the front right here? No one talking. Let's have it stay really quiet in here, really quiet. I think Jesus wants our response today. And I'm not going to manipulate anything. I'm not going to make anyone do anything. But all across this room, whatever it looks like for you, if you want to get on your knees, if you want to stay standing, if you want to close your eyes, but let's take a moment and be really still before the Lord and ask, God, is there anything you're asking me to lay down? Is there anything competing for the throne of my heart tonight? Is there anything, is there any divided way in me? All across the room, let's take 30 seconds and ask the Lord, Lord, if there's anything, if there's anyone, would you reveal it to me? take the next 60 seconds. Psalm 86, David prays this prayer where he says, Lord, would you give me an undivided heart to worship you? All across the room, in your own words, in your own prayers, can you pray that to the Lord today? Can you say, Lord, I want my heart to be undivided before you. Maybe you can say, God, I surrender this thing. I want you to be Lord of my life. Maybe you can pray, God, whatever it costs, I'm yours. Whatever it looks like. But as we sing this last song, I want you to respond to God who is worthy of undivided love, undivided obedience, undivided surrender, undivided trust. Because that's what he gave for you. Because he loves you so much. So let's respond in the same way with worship today.